Now I want to look at a verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 11, chapter number 23, it's text number 22. Manusham tad dvijaragriyatam tad anadrita ye swaratam grananti yantyashubham gatim Those who obtain human life, which is prayed for even by the demigods, and in that human birth become situated as first-class brahmanas, are extremely fortunate. If they disregard this important opportunity, they are certainly killing their own self-interest and thus achieve a most unfortunate end. Please repeat altogether. Those who obtain human life, which is prayed for even by the demigods, and in that human birth altogether, those who obtain human life, which is prayed for even by the demigods, and in that human birth become situated as first-class prominence are extremely fortunate. If they disregard this important opportunity, they are certainly killing their own self-interest and thus achieve a most unfortunate end. Speaking of endings, I'll be ending the class this morning at 9.29 and 59 seconds so that we can have Guru Puja and announcements and start the Gita con contest. The contest of all contests coming up at 10 o'clock sharp. Purport, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur comments as follows. Human birth is better, better than that of the demigods, ghosts, spirits, animals, trees, lifeless stones, and so forth. Because the demigods simply enjoy celestial pleasures and in other forms of life, there is excessive suffering. It is only in human life that one deeply considers one's ultimate benefit in life. Human birth is therefore more desirable than even that of the demigods. Within human life, the position of a high-class brahmana is certainly most desirable. If a brahmana, however, gives up the devotional service of the Lord, and works hard like a shudra, simply for the prestige of his community, he is certainly on the platform of material sense gratification. The special qualification of the brahmana is the spiritual knowledge by which they recognized every living entity to be an eternal servant of the Lord. A brahmana, free from false ego, thus feels himself lower than a blade of grass and tolerantly offers respect to all living entities. All human beings, and especially the brahmanas, should avoid becoming killers of their own self-interest by neglecting Krishna consciousness, the loving service of the Lord. Such neglect paves the way for future suffering. Human mind is subtle can appreciate high concepts, starting with the fact that we can learn languages, which is remarkable. We have syntax and grammar. It's, you go back to the uh, gallery, please. The complexity of syntax and grammar is practically unimaginable. We might take it for granted, but the fact that we can articulate thoughts we can talk about past, we can express in term, concepts in terms of past tense, present tense, future tense, conditional tense, and many other nuances of language is simply remarkable. It, it reveals the subtlety of the human mind, how much power we've been given in the human mind. The, um, the, this, this, 
facility for such subtle thinking in this verse. I think it's very important for us to, to remember. Uh, remembering tasmat ekena manasa bhagavan sattvatam bhati shrotavya kirtitavyascha deya pujascha we have really one purpose which is to use our extremely enriched minds or our minds which are capable of subtle thinking to think of the highest concept to investigate what is the purpose of life and to contemplate an original source causality is important uh, intelligence means we can trace out where things come from to the degree that our intelligence is limited to that degree we also cannot think past a certain point in the chain of causality animals when they see something move often don't consider what what made it move they simply react for instance a cat when it sees a pebble move jumps on the pebble and thinks i wonder if it's going to move again it doesn't think is this alive or dead who threw the pebble whereas a monkey i can assure you if you throw a pebble at a monkey he'll come back at you but he'll go get his friends first and then they'll beat you up because they knew you threw it but a monkey can't think much past that like why did he throw it what was his intention also a monkey when he gets a banana doesn't think about i wonder if these are imported i wonder if they come from colombia or local here at, in delhi or did they come by truck from bengal a monkey just eats the banana we chase we trace back the origin of things based on our intelligence those who are brahmanas they have the most extensive intelligence it's expanded by power of practice and and, and a spiritual association and therefore they can think about causality in a way that takes them all the way back to the beginning that's where the shrimad bhagavatam starts janmad yasayataha there is beginning to everything everything emanates from an original source that has implications in our life that something comes from a particular source the next question might be what is the nature of that source what is my relationship with that source this is the subject matter for devotional service if we look at it in very <clears throat> broad terms what is the source and what is my relationship with the source and what is my duty to that source when one is bestowed with refined intelligence and as is mentioned in this purport human life is a gift with the possibility of attaining the highest benefit elsewhere krishna talks about how the human body is a boat nridayam ajam sulabham sadulabham plavam sukalpam guru karunadaram mayana kulyena nabasviteritam he says human life human body nridayam it's a boat you can take this boat all the way across the ocean of material life don't waste it he says if you waste it you become atmaha killer of the soul subtle thinking requires 
a lifestyle in which we're not exposing ourselves to low vibrations or becoming controlled or obligated to low habits. And everything we do, because the goal of life is so subtle in the process for understanding it requires such refined intelligence. Everything we do is significant. Sometimes things which look insignificant can be missed. For instance, a snare. A snare is a little loop put out by a hunter. It looks like, oh, it's nothing. It's just a little thread with a loop on it. But if the rabbit steps in the snare, it's entangled. A fish hook also looks insignificant. Oh, it's just a tiny little piece of metal, but it has a barb in it. If somebody bites on it, then life is over. <laughs> Similarly, the beginning of Upadeshamrita, Rupa Goswami says, Vacho Vegam, Manasakrata Vegam. Off colored comments, using the tongue for describing the material world and encouraging attachment to it is significant. It's the difference between an enlightened being and a non-enlightened being. How you use your power of speech. It seems insignificant to pass this comment or that, but one wrong comment can start a war. It can end a relationship. It can begin a relationship. Especially nowadays, everything you say is captured somewhere. But it has its implication. Human intelligence means to be aware of this. It's our duty as brahmanas, those who understand spirit, to know how significant it is when we speak. What's the difference between speaking a spiritual mantra and speaking something about enjoying the material world. There's a huge difference. The difference has been explained by the dhiras, those who have understood the severity of the consequences and who are therefore very careful. Dira means careful. It means sober. Sober means careful. People who are intoxicated are not careful. They get some chemical in their blood and then they'll say any damn thing. They don't even know they said it. And the next day they wake up and they say, why I'm in jail. Not paying attention may look insignificant. What's the difference for one second? You may have a head-on collision with a truck. That's the difference. <laughs> Not paying attention. Using the human mind to tasmat e kena manasa, the mind fixed. The Bhagavatam serious. It says, keep your mind fixed in one place on your service. Tasmat e kena manasa, Bhagavan. Keep it on Bhagavan. Sattvatampati, he's, he's your protector. Not paying attention is the cause of bloodshed. As the old Vedic aphorism says, in shaving, a moment's inattention causes bloodshed. Inattention. Oh, it's no big deal. For those on the spiritual path, it's a big deal. Pay attention. While driving, makes a big difference. Of course, devotees consider themselves to be insignificant. They know that 
they'd be given a significant opportunity, but they feel themselves to be insignificant. Prabhupada signed his poems, The Insignificant Beggar. The holy name may look insignificant. After all, it's just a song, someone might think. But actually, it's Krishna, directly. The four regulative principles. They may seem insignificant. Oh, I know that. I know what they are. It's no big deal. Anybody can do that. But actually... As Prabhupada told one disciple, if you follow the four regulative principles and chant your 16 rounds carefully, you'll become as strong as the Himalayas in spiritual life. Is that significant? Yes, because who can do that? Great scholars can't do it. Athletes can't do it. Nobody can do it. But if somebody take shelter of this seemingly insignificant phrase, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. That person can become a Mahatma, a great soul, and overcome the ocean of material existence. Prabhupada says how that's possible, even though we're insignificant. He says a tiny fish is more powerful than the elephant because the fish has taken shelter of the water. When it comes to water, the fish is more powerful. How is that possible? An elephant and a tiny fish, which is more powerful? In the water, the fish is more powerful. Why? He's taken shelter of the water. He can swim upstream. Even an elephant will be washed away by the Ganga. Can't make it across. So our surrender to the holy name is significant. It allows us to swim in this material world without being swept away. Humility is significant. First of all, what is it? Humility is the recognition that our Shakti comes from Krishna. Our Shakti comes from Krishna. Everything we do, whatever we're able to accomplish, we thank Krishna. We say, thank you for giving me the power to do this. This is humility. It doesn't mean that you don't do things. It doesn't mean that you don't shine. It doesn't mean that you don't excel in everything or try to for Krishna. But you give all the credit to Krishna. You recognize anything I'm able to do it's Krishna Shakti. It comes from him. That's humility. And when we take shelter of Krishna in a mood of surrender, he ferociously protects us. It's like, you know, when a lioness is with her cubs, she becomes ferocious. Everyone knows if you see a little baby cub Get out of there quick, because it means the mother's there somewhere nearby, and you're going to be in big trouble. So when we become fully surrendered to Krishna, it's the most significant thing we can do, and Krishna becomes ferocious about protecting us. So this verse is a reminder of how subtle things make a big difference. Human life We've been handed the greatest opportunity, a technology, a technological device, unprecedented in material nature, where we can actually think subtly. So the Shastras say, don't waste it on gross things. Refine your goal of life. Refine your speech. Refine your sense of who you are and, and surrender to Krishna. Refine your attitude. Become humble. When you meet a humble person who 
recognizes all my Shakti comes from Krishna. That person emanates spiritual power through that humility and surrender. I just read in the 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, the first verse that is spoken by the demigods praying to Lord Krishna in the womb that because Krishna is truth said hypocrites cannot understand Krishna ever because he's the supreme truth and he's fully aware of our intentions so how significant are, are our intentions seems imperceivable practically but it has the most significant effect whether we can understand Krishna or not understand Krishna, whether our intention is refined and properly aligned. So that we could take note of this verse, the mood of it, and permission to work on ourselves, to take advantage of these subtleties afforded to us in human life. And by tiny degrees of adjustment, our life becomes more and more significant. And the results of our practice become more and more noticeable to us. Everything's possible in this human life. Be in Katvanga consciousness. We can't say, oh, I don't have enough time to do it. Katvanga did it in a minute. We may have a few more than one minute, but we, we should follow his footsteps. Never say it's too late. Which first number? You mean the original verse, Malini? The one that you just read, Prabhu, so I got it. 11.23.22, 11, that's the one? Yes, Prabhu. I'll read it again. Those who obtain human life, which is prayed for even by the demigods. Did you note that also? It's prayed for even by the demigods because the demigods have it too good. It's possible to have it too good. You can't concentrate. Human life's perfect. Don't complain that, that your life is suffering. That's good. You have the perfect balance. Those who obtain human life, which is prayed for even by the demigods, and in that human birth become situated as first-class brahmanas, are extremely fortunate. If they disregard this important opportunity, they are certainly killing their own self-interest and thus achieve a most unfortunate end. I'm going to go look and see if there's anything on the board. But in the meantime, feel free to add something in the way of a reflection or a question. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Where are you? I, I'm in Michigan right now. Okay. I, uh, I was just thinking, I was on a plane yesterday from Texas to Michigan, and I was just reading that pastime of Katvanga on the airplane, and right when I started reading it the plane started going into extreme turbulence <laughs> and i was thinking i was like this is so fitting i'm getting the perfect opportunity to see that when our life puts us in perfect when our life puts us in turbulence we need to follow the example of marash katvanga so i like that you brought up the point about marash katvanga because i was just reading about him yesterday and is in a perfect scenario to understand the mood of that pastime oh nice Nice anecdote. And the Bhagavatam gives us many such heroes to take shelter of. We have Katvanga. We have Jud Bharat. We have Parikshit Maharaj. We have Didichi. How much of a hero is Didichi? Uh, everybody knew his reputation. How'd you like to have a reputation like that? You can ask him for charity for the Lord and he'll give it. He said, what are we gonna ask him for? It's a little donation, your bones. He said, don't worry, he'll give it. They asked him, he said, 
you're asking a lot, aren't you? And they said, well, you know, it's for Vishnu. He said, I know that. I'm going to give him. Didichi gave his bones. We should, these are our superheroes. If we keep them in our mind and heart, Katvanga, Parikshit Maharaj, Bali Maharaj, then we'll always be fortified. We can call on them to protect us, to protect our refined human life or to refine our human life and to protect the opportunity that we have. Please guide me, Katvanga Maharaj. Let me be like you. Yes, Shraddha. Maharaj, I really liked um, two things from this lecture. One was about um, about humility, and the, the real definition of humility is that you know we accept that everything that we have good is actually coming from Krishna. And in that context, we had used the word um, we should uh, refine. Uh, we should refine our attitude. I really, <laughs> really like that a lot. And then um, connecting that with what you were mentioning in the Japa circle to the morning there also you were saying that um when we are chanting there's an attitude change like from i'm being the controller i'm actually your servant so thank you so much for bringing in two levels of you know two aspects to refining ourselves thank you shraddha when i think of refinement what first comes to my mind is making sandesh because when i was taught i was taught by a great master how to make sandesh Unfortunately, I haven't taken full advantage recently of the, these teachings, but I did put my heart and soul into Sandesh making for at least two and a half years. I made it every week. And what I, what I learned from my, my teacher was that Sandesh with any lumps, even the microscopic lumps, is useless. Sandesh takes patience to make. You could put it, if you want to cheat a little bit, you could put it, the curd through the champion juicer, come out the other side, but that's not it. It's not done. You have to put it on marble or stainless steel, completely flat, and you stay there until your kneading renders it so smooth that there's no perception of grit whatsoever. And similarly, as we're working on ourselves, our speech, our attitudes, don't think, oh, I'm already there. I'm perfect, powerful and happy. No one's as advanced as I am. Everyone should offer homage unto me for being a great devotee, but we should think, oh, I need refinement. And when somebody corrects us, we should think, yes, this is the kneading process. I'm being... I'm being spread out on a piece of marble and thank you for bearing down upon me until all the lumps come out, the microscopic lumps. And when Sandesh is completely smooth, you know that somebody put their heart and soul into it, making sure there's not one last piece of grit. Then it's, it's sublime, one tiny piece of Sandesh after being offered at Mangalartik to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, will transport one directly with no detours to Goloka Vrindavan. Little saffron, Goloka. It's so sublime. And those who use their lives for this kind of kneading again and again and again, patiently working to refine their attitudes. As uh, Malini talked about etiquette, she gave such a nice seminar on this all those years ago, back when, when even I was young. And you were all just kids. <laughs> she gave that seminar on etiquette. And she pointed out how Lord Chaitanya said that it's just the ornament of the devotees. Oh, when somebody has refined themselves like Sandesh, everyone wants to be there with them. It's the greatest treasure. It's sublime. 
a little association with such a person and you're transported directly, no detours, right back to Goloka. That's how powerful the soul is in contact with Krishna through refined attitude, practice, and sentiment. The mood of the heart is I'm a servant of Krishna. I only want to please Krishna, my spiritual master. This is unlimited power. Hare Krishna. Um, I was I really liked that example you are you can you hear me? Oh yeah. Oh. I really like that example you gave about the fish and elephant showing how the fish is actually stronger by surrendering. And I was reminded of that example Shua Prabhupada often gives of a dog and the one with the master is actually the one who's more protected and who's enjoying more. Um, whereas the one who's just living stray on the street is the one actually suffering and i was just reminded about like how us humans in our like quest for independence we often forget that um we are happier when we're dependent on krishna and um recently earlier in the week i was reading this verse from the bhumi gita i think it was the 43rd verse and then um it mentioned about how even like all the demigods will uh, like bow down to the supreme lord but like the specific words the petty and miserable human beings <laughs> failed to do so and i was also reminded like in this purport it said how like the demigods strive for a human birth and then i was remembering how by us not being willing to bow down to the supreme lord it's just a waste nice points really nice points the last point you made about the unwillingness to bow down recently I read in two places where Prabhupada uses the word slight. He says in the ninth canto that if you develop a slight, actually they're both in the tenth canto, if you develop a slight inclination to hear about Krishna, your life becomes perfect. And he also says a little bit later, okay, if you well, develop I got, I got a slight a slight inclination. If you develop a slight inclination to offer your homage to Krishna, even if you do it slightly, your life becomes perfect. Yeah, great points, Avantika. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Prabhu, um, there was such a such a beautiful verse that you you told us today, Prabhu. Um, I was thinking about this um, this week. Um, we were reading the pastime about Lord Brahma um, stealing Krishna's uh, friends and the calves, and there it is said that Brahma actually was not able to take the real uh, Krishna's friends. He only took the whatever was the Maya part of it, and then we were thinking how how that. Um, anybody who has uh, touched with anything material cannot touch anything um, spiritual, um, leave alone touching Krishna or his friends or his paraphernalia. Um, but I, I was thinking how you said today um, that um, um, like a fish in the water, if we take shelter of the holy name, um, holy name is touching Krishna with the sound vibration. And though we are um, living in this material world, but still we are able to perceive or or, or get a glimpse um, of the touch of Krishna through the holy name. And um, I was feeling so grateful that Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave us this process of chanting, uh, which could actually connect us to the supreme abode of Krishna. So thank you, Prabhu. Yeah, really important points. The other day, when I was talking to Ananda Marari Prabhu, the... Uh, famous bhajaneer lives in denver and he was he just finished a college degree in psychology and i asked him well how how were your how were your classes how did you like the academic process and he said well my overall realization is that education is 
you get out of it what you put into it. And so much of what we have, well, let me rephrase that. Everything that we have is what we ourselves have, have put in to our practice and to our lives. Because Krishna says, I'm facilitating whatever you want, dear dear son. I, I, I'll give you whatever you wish. Dear one, Krishna's so kind. He's fulfilling everyone's desires in time immemorial, and he doesn't coerce us because he wants us to voluntarily decide to love him. So to your point about the way that we invest ourselves in the 10th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam when the seventh child of Devaki appears, uh, appears that there was a, a miscarriage and then the daughter is there and Kamsa comes to kill the daughter um, uh, on the 8th. Uh, he couldn't tell if it was seven or eight, but then, of course, the daughter came from Yashoda, was traded for Krishna, who was born to Devaki. And <clears throat> when he tried to kill her, she chastised him and said, you're such a fool. And there, <clears throat> Prophet explains how yoga maya, and Mahamaya are simultaneously available according to the way we interact with the world. For those who are sincere and try to serve Krishna, Yoga Maya makes herself available and facilitates us. If I want to enjoy the material world, then Mahamaya facilitates everything so that I can get the illusion that I want. Everything is responding to us. Everything in our environment responds to us appropriately. That can be maddening in one way, but actually it's great news because it means that if I adjust and refine myself, my environment will respond appropriately. Even karma is an appropriate response to the way I'm moving. In the 10th canto, 14th chapter, check that, in the 11th canto, in the story of the Avanti Brahmana, the Avanti Brahmana who's, who starts off his life as an entrepreneur and develops wealth, but then loses it because of being so stingy and barely ever offering anything to anyone, including the demigods, except for one time he sincerely prayed in a sacrifice and he had this shred of piety in his heart. And when he lost everything, he became destitute. That tiny shred of Sukriti became prominent and he nourished it and he became a sincere spiritual practitioner he left everything everyone took it that he was actually a rascal because they saw that he lost everything and they said therefore because you are so unsuccessful now you're pretending to be a renunciate he was actually sincere he tolerated everybody chastising him and they chastised him severely they would throw things at him they would tie him up they would defecate on him. They would call him ill names. But in his heart, he held to that firm conviction. That I will cross over this insurmountable I will cross over the insurmountable ocean of material existence by being firmly fixed in the service of the lotus feet of Krishna, Paramatma, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. This was approved by the previous Acharyas who were firmly fixed in devotional service of the Lord. 
And during his practices when he's being harassed, he said, who can complain when they bite their own tongue? Have you ever bitten your own tongue? Hope it's not just me. I do it all the time. Ouch, it's really, it really hurts, either while sleeping or, <laughs> or honoring prasadam, and then bang, bite my tongue. And it's very painful. So should I yell at somebody? I could yell at Nirkula. Nirkula, why'd you make me bite my tongue? <laughs> he said, who, who can you blame for biting your own tongue? So this awareness, self-awareness that actually every aspect of my life is an appropriate response to the way that I've interacted with the world. It's an appropriate response to my mentality. The subtlety of my attitude manifests my outward situation. And therefore, there is no cheating, Krishna. When Ananda Marari Prabhu told me about that, I, it was a very potent reminder. This education is what you put into it yourself. And I remembered what everyone's mother used to tell his or her child, the, the, and that is that if you cheat, you've heard this, right? If you cheat, you only cheat yourself. Did, any, did your mom, your mama tell you that? If you, if you cheat, you only cheat yourself. So the material world's a cheater's paradise. I want to cheat myself. I don't want to know who the Supreme Controller is. Deliberately don't want to know. I put up barriers of, made of philosophy, made of a society where there's no trace of seeing the Supreme Personality of Godhead. No imagery, please. No nomenclature. Do not mention it. I don't want to hear about it. Someone divorces someone else and then I don't I never want to hear about hear from you again. But the the person who's been divorced continues to pay and support. Krishna, even though I've divorced myself, I said, I, I don't want to, I, I, I'm breaking this off. I don't want to really see you anymore. Not, I don't want to hear from you, but he still pays all the bills. Still maintains everything we do. Ultimately, our only happiness comes in reviving our relationship, admitting our relationship and repairing it, repairing the relationship that we have with our, our well-wisher, with different kinds of friends. The Shastras talk about different friends we can have. Have you ever heard of a fair-weathered friend? Have you ever had a fair-weathered friend? Thank you, my fair-weathered friend. Like, I'm in trouble now. It's like, sorry, I can't help you anymore. Thank you, my fair-weathered friend. Krishna's not a fair-weathered friend. He's a friend <laughs> in all circumstances of life. And what a strain on my being to neglect that kind of friendship, to ignore it. What happens? That kind of ignorance. Hare Krishna. Can you still hear me? That kind of ignorance expands into an ocean of ignorance. Ignorance. That's the material world. It's an ocean of ignorance. Little jivas ignoring their relationship with the Supreme. So the demigods praying to Lord Krishna within the womb say, that the lotus-eyed Supreme Personality of Godhead, one has to again revive one's relationship with that beautiful Supreme Personality of Godhead. And by that, one's actually liberated. There's no 
there's no workaround on this. I'll do a workaround. I'll just meditate on the impersonal Brahman and forget about the personal form. Krishna says, Klesho dikattaras desham avyakta sakta techasam chetasam avyakta hi gatir dukam dehavadbir avapite. He tells Arjuna, that's very troublesome. That's very troublesome. It causes misery, ignorance. Even in spiritual practice, if one's practicing something to reach God, but then doesn't have a clear idea that there's a relationship with the Supreme Person who is our best friend and with whom we have the the an intimate relationship. It's an eternal fact that we have a kinship with the Lord. Minus that, nothing helps. Naramuni says, doesn't matter what you do, even if it's working for no reward, if you don't know Achuta and have Bhava and some emotion for him, it, it won't do you any good. Okay, we'll take a couple more. Yeah. Hare. Hare Krishna. I have a simple question. Could I share, please, if I can ask the question? I don't know. Will I be intimidated by it? <laughs> Hopefully not. Okay. Um, I mean, I can talk otherwise. Uh, can I share? Please share. You want to share oh, yes. the screen? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I think Aparami yeah, is allowed me. Okay, all right. So, um, so over here, Prabhupada is mentioning that there's an order to the layers, right, over the soul. Intelligence of the mind, so is of the intelligence. So, senses, mind, intelligence, and soul, right? So, you would expect that someone's going the uh, spiritual uh, path would expect to cross the senses first, then the mind, the intelligence, and the soul, right? And um, then there's another fact given in eleven thirteen one where uh, it is being mentioned. What did by, you mean first before you go on? What did you mean the senses would pass So uh, you wouldn't you be controlling the senses first? And then once you draw your sense, senses like a tortoise, and then you try to control your mind. I mean, a typical order. Of course, while doing Hare Krishna, we kind of do all of them together. But the order would be that first one kind of gets out of the external senses and kind of gets the mind in control, then the intelligence, and then realizes that there is the soul is uh, lost in this world and it really has a different uh, uh, responsibility. Krishna, Nitya Sarup so is to be Krishna's servant. So wouldn't that be the order? And if that may is... We, may we examine that for a second before you go to the second part sure. of your sure. presentation? If we look at the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, mm -hmm. gallery for a second. We look in the third chapter of Bhagavad Don't go there yet, but I just want to talk. Just go to the gallery. In the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna gives the hierarchy. The lowest of all is the senses. Above the senses is the mind. Above the mind is the intelligence. Above the intelligence is he, the soul. And then, of course, as we know from the 13th chapter, then there's this super spirit, as Prabhupada says in the Bhagavatam, the Paramatma. At the very end of the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, evam buddhi param buddhva samstabhyatmanamatmana so what he's talked about in the third chapter of the Gita, first he said lust is the eternal enemy of the soul. It burns like fire and it dissuades us from our actual self-interest. And he says that, that lust occupies different areas, including the senses, sometimes the mind, sometimes the intelligence, as in uh, army would strategically occupy a territory in order to take it over. So in military terms, then, he's describing these different areas where we're overtaken by our eternal enemy, lust, uh, which is born from Rajagun. And then he says at the, at the conclusion that make a stand against this through your intelligence, evam putti. So you stand up and fight by fortifying your intelligence 
because when you have that discrimination, then you become stita pragya. And that's the description in the second chapter of the Gita where, where Arjuna asks, how do I know somebody's actually fixed in consciousness? And then Krishna says, first thing, prajahati yadakaman sarvan manogatan if you see pratyahara within the person, that means the ability to pull back from the sense objects, which is uh, an indication that the, the intelligence is ruling the hierarchy, not just the senses. So there is a sense that... Uh, we have to have the intelligence first fortified in order to discriminate in uh, what is the difference between serving our senses or serving Hrishikesh, the master of the senses. And in that chapter, the third chapter, Krishna indicates that start with your intelligence, make a stand there by fortifying yourself. Please continue, Vijay Damodar I know you have much more to say. I think you kind of answered it. <laughs> I was going to the uh, second order which is, um, it is mentioned that um, uh, the mind is, is a manifestation of the Vaikarika ego, which is egotism in, in goodness. And intelligence is from the egotism in passion, which is Tejas. So logically, and obviously in Canto 11, 13th uh, chapter, first verse, it is being mentioned that by cultivation of transcendental, by development of material goodness, one can conquer the modes of passion and ignorance. And by cultivation of transcendental goodness, one may free oneself and even from material goodness. So the order is given that one should get to Saprika state. And because the mind is the manifestation of uh, egotism and goodness, therefore one would expect to first fortify the intelligence and then the mind. Whereas the, the shells say that one should fortify the mind first, then the intelligence, and then go and realize their anchor and then go to the ego. So order is different between mind and intelligence in these two scenarios. And that's what my question was. Well, the reason that the mind is manifest from rajas, excuse me, the, the buddhi is described as being manifest from rajas, and the mind is uh, manifest from uh, sattva, is uh, because uh, the intelligence is creative. Intelligence means planning. Planning means rajas. It means let me pro progress. I'll make a strategic plan. I'll have a vision and mission statement. I'll put out my KRAs. This is Rajas, progress. Mind is a neutral entity. It's what we make of it. It, it is in its original state before we load it up with the modes of nature in various ways. It is a... a um, neutral. And this uh, neutrality is the symptom of sattva. Sattva is neutrality. It means that uh, it's open and, and balanced. It doesn't uh, discriminate. Buddhi means discrimination. So actually the first instruction that Rupa Goswami says, yena tena prakarina mana, yena tena prakarina mana krishna neveshayat. First thing, think of Krishna. <laughs> if you th think of Krishna, then everything else becomes possible. And it's practical advice. He says, first of all, induce people to think of Krishna somehow or other. If you're a, t if you're a teacher and you're wondering how to make people uh, Krishna conscious, first let them think of Krishna. Now, the intelligence, because of its discriminatory power, Kapila Dave says, it has, the, it has several features. One of the most important features of the intelligence is doubt. And he says that unless one has the power to doubt, how can one come to a reasonable conclusion that I should surrender to Krishna? So in the beginning, we need to doubt. Siddhanta bolya chinta nakara alash iha hoite krishna lagishudrad manosh. Kaviraj Goswami says, you, you question this process. You look at it carefully. You doubt it. You say, uh, you know, is this true or not true? Otherwise, 
you stay in a neophyte position, you have very weak faith, komal shraddha. It's not based on your buddhi. You haven't fortified it by intensive discussion. I'm saying, why are you doing this? Why is, why is there a God? Why isn't material nature God? Why is there a controller beyond this? Unless we know this, then somebody else can come along and say, ah, it's just a religion you're practicing. It's just faith. It doesn't mean anything. Any, you could follow any faith. Why not follow ours? We'll give you more money. And they go, okay, that sounds good. You give me a house and a car, throw in a, a trailer for my car, <laughs> and I'll change. So we have to have this discriminatory power, which comes from the buddhi, to bring us to the threshold of bhakti. And then when we've decided, we've discriminated between uh, what actually is matter and what is spirit, as an example, and then uh, we come to understand it's reasonable. So we have then we have what's called well-reasoned faith. Well-reasoned faith. And at that point, Kapiladev said, now you surrender your mind and intelligence at this doorstep of bhakti, because once you've understood through your intellect, through your buddhi, yes, this is correct. Yes, there is a supreme controller. He must be personal. Om purnamadak purnamidam. All, all types of uh, perfect entities are emanating. What must be the origin? All, all this logic is going on in the intellect. But then it shouldn't go on and on and on, Kapiladev says. You come to that point and now you say, I surrender. So there's two sides to this. There's blind faith, which we don't want. And there's also blind doubt. It's the same thing on the other side of the coin. So you have to use your intelligence uh, deliberately to come to the point of understanding where should I actually place my attention? And once you've discerned it with your intelligence and it's become your intelligence become fortified, evam buddhi param buddhva samstabhyatmanamatmana, now you fully give your mind, your heart, everything, your senses. And the intelligence is always there because the, the senses are going, you sure you want to get up early? Uh, how about we sleep until noon, you know, and your intelligence says, Shastra says, Guru Maharaj says, you know, get up early, change around. So, uh, you know, I already decided, sorry, we already surrendered. It's too late, guys. You're coming along for the ride and grow up. So, you know, this is mature devotional service. It's step by step. The intelligence has to be satisfied and then surrendered, and then the mind and the intelligence work together, and the senses cooperate. Or, you know, sometimes people engage, okay, I know, I'm stopping. Okay. Um, sometimes people get their senses engaged first. Just, they're hapless, they walk in, and like Jayananda used to do, he'd be working on the Rathiatra cart, and he'd say, hey, buddy, do you know how to hammer? I, I can't do it very well. If you could just hold this nail for a second and hammer it in, it's like, can you do one more? And then, you know, three hours later, person's using his senses to hammer nails and go, what's this all about anyway? What is this thing? It's like, oh yeah, this is a chariot for, uh, for Jagannath. Who's Jagannath? And then, you know, from the senses or somebody gets a, 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 some prasadam and eats it and goes like, hmm, yum, 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 vapi. Uh, like, that then, you know, gradually the intelligence goes, well, why did that taste so good? Thank you very much, everybody, for your kind attention. Now we're going to have our Guru Puja because by worshiping the Supreme Personality of Godhead's representative, we can overcome all obstacles in this material world. Thank you, Maharaj, for the detailed explanation. Really appreciate it. Okay, thank you for such a good question. We would expect nothing less from you. Jayom Vishnupad Paramahamsa Prevajuka Chajashto Tarashta Shishi Mada Pai Charanada Vinda Bhakti Vinanta Sai Maharaj Shri Prabhupad Ki Jai Jayom Vishnupad Paramahamsa Prevajuka Chajashto Tarashta Shishi Mada 
Shila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Gosai Maharaj Ki Jai Ananta Goti Vaishnavini Ki Jai Namacharya Shila Haridas Thakur Ki Jai Prem Sukho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhara Shiva Sadi Goda Bhaktavinda Ki Jai Shishi Radha Krishna Gokopina Shamakunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhan Ki Jai Shri Vidavan Tam Ki Jai Shri Maya Purnavaditam Ki Jai Shri Jagannath Puritam Ki Jai Tulsi Devi Bhakti Devi Ki Jai Jumuna Devi Ganga Devi Ki Jai Samveda Bhakti Mundi Ki Jai Gaur Premanande Go ahead Preet Kishore, more. Keep going to keep the harmonium, let her do some stuff. If that doesn't make your heart overflow, nothing will. Hare Krishna. Go pray, Manande, Hari Hari Bo. Hey,